We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Arsenal finally play the perfect game of football for people that like to either be insanely mad or insanely happy. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. If you love being insanely mad about Arsenal, who you had a 35 minutes to just roll around and frolic in. I don't know anybody like that. If you love being happy about Arsenal and optimistic about the opportunity, about the potential. Oh my goodness, did you love that last hour and all the things it contained? Problem? They were both part of the same game, and it ends 3-3 at the London Stadium, quite incredibly. Actually, it ends 5-1, if we're being accurate, but the points are split, is how it worked. And yes, that is because West Ham did score five of the six goals scored, but let's set that aside for the moment and simply say, hello, we love you, thank you for being here. It is the international break, and aren't we thankful for that? Because if there's one thing all of us wanted, it's two weeks to watch meaningless football with no arsenal. Whew, what a dumb thing they are doing. But, you know, it'll give us time to do lots of different content. We're going to rewatch the second half, I dare say, of the West Ham game for patrons tomorrow if you'd like to join us for that. And if not, no big deal, because there's still going to be podcasts over here, over on the free side. So go on whatever side you want. I am fired up today, in case you can't tell. I am wearing my Manscaped underwear. It is going to be that kind of day. And here to talk to me about this game is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hold pause. Woohoo. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive. He's still Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. All right. Coffee is coursing through my veins. We have a later kickoff time for this podcast today. Thanks to daylight savings time or the opposite, whatever it is when you spring forward, having happened in the U.S. and not having happened in the U.K. so far. So I am one hour closer to you, Clive. Do you feel me breathing down your neck now? Yeah, you sound pretty excited. I'm going to see what I can do. I'm sure you're going to spend way too much time on that first half hour, but let's see how we go, shall we? So I want to break up the pod into three sections, really. The first 35 minutes, the middle 35 minutes, and the last 20 minutes. And what I'd like to do is spend about 92% of the pod on the first 35... No, I'm kidding. (laughs) 
but I do want to kind of break it down that way, actually. And Paul, I'm going to start with you because I think I have a better chance of getting the answer I want from you than I do from Clive, which is why I'm going to start with you. Um, also, you have exactly one hour, uh, which is about how long we played football on, on Sunday. So that's good. Um, look, it's easy to be wise after the fact. <clears throat> it's much harder to be wise before the fact or even during the fact. But I think when I saw the lineup, my feeling was it's too clever by half. That was my feeling. It's too clever by half. That he sees something here. He wants to do something here. He's facing his old manager. He's got a plan. He's got a special thing he's concocted. But like, we've had two days of practice for this game. We've had a system and, a, and an approach and a setup that's working. Maybe just maybe run that out one more time before the international break and and ride this wave of relative success that we've had in that system. So for you, when you saw it, did you have a, a similar reaction? Or if not, why not? So the answer to your first question is night, dark, losing time. <laughs> is that So it's not daylight savings time. It's night, dark, yeah. losing time. Let me tell you, I always loved it when you spring forward. But now having small children, when the sun starts peering through mm. the window at 6 a.m., uh, yeah, suddenly it's not as, not as fun as I used to think it was. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, so in answer to your other question, look, um, I... I guess I'm of the school of not losing my mind over lineup tweaks. Huge mistake. Uh, I know, I know. But I'm representing that part of our listener community that that doesn't have a huge problem with a tweak in the lineup. I mean, we swapped the side. Well, I guess we made two changes. We had a different striker up front, and we swapped the sides that... Aubameyang and Saka normally play on and I just don't think it made any difference in the first 20 minutes when we went and swapped them back it when I I went back and looked at the play and thought what would have been different had they been on the other the opposite sides not much so the real question then becomes um uh going with Aubameyang or Laka up front and Aubameyang's in a bit of a funk and Lacazette's kind of earned the right to start and the manager is not going to play Aubameyang through the middle for every game for the rest of the season so he's going to pick and choose his, choose his moments when Lacazette will start and he thought about battling Lacazette getting bumped by these centre-backs and let's be honest Lacazette had a phenomenal game once we got going and mm. um, it was not the worst choice so uh, I mean don't get me wrong I understand people who wanted to play this differently. I understand you can see a scenario where maybe the first 20 minutes weren't as bad. I, I don't particularly see it. And I, But on the other hand, I can't disprove a negative. If you say to me, well, if we'd lined up with Aubameyang, then it would have gone much better and we we wouldn't have sucked for the first 20 minutes and they wouldn't have been first to every ball in midfield and they wouldn't be all over our back line. You know, uh, Aubameyang did cover back on the right-hand side. There is a kind of a logic to starting him on the right again against Cresswell um, with uh, Chambers there to be a more conservative fullback. Uh, I mean, managers do these things. I don't... It, the, and the thing is, we have this binary of it's great or terrible. And it, it might have been not quite as good a selection as the other selection and still entirely perfectly adequate for us to play good football. And we could have scored two in the first half, three in the first half, 
even with the few minutes we had there. And we could have scored five in the second half with Aubameyang on the left. In fact, Aubameyang could have got a goal and we'd maybe have less to say about it had uh, what's-his-face Dawson not got his paw on it. Um, so, because the reason he did what he did is he knew Aubameyang should be and was right behind him to knock that in for a tap-in. Um, so, you know, uh, I, 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 I've heard the arguments. I get it. I yeah. get why people want to play it another way, but... Um, I think the first 20 minutes are entirely down to other factors, and you know what I think they are. West Ham coming at us like uh, uh, crazed lunatics on crack because they've had seven days of moise firing them up to beat into us, and us climbing off the plane from Olympiacos, even if it was the Emirates, uh, mentally, and not not coming with the intensity we needed to. It wasn't until they they couldn't do what they did for 90 minutes. It wasn't until they got the three goals and kind of began to consolidate that we stepped into the game and started to feel our oats. Yeah, I mean, look, that's all well and good. I, I think that you have to, if you're going to decide to wax lyrical about the, the that last hour of this game, which is entirely fair and probably appropriate, you have to, I think, intellectually be prepared to acknowledge that the depth of of the poverty of the first 30 minutes, or at a minimum, the first sort of 15 or 20 minutes. Um, we started to climb back into it from 20 to 30 minutes. Not great. But in the first 35 minutes, we're outshot 8 to 1. In the first 15 minutes, they had 80% possession. Um, you know, I mean, if, if you go read the By the Numbers mm-hmm. column this week done by a 7 a.m. kickoff, not Scott, because uh, Scott's on vacation, well-deserved, and I hope he's doing well, I, I, th- I think it was a really, really poor period. And I think my argument would be, setting fatigue aside, because it's always an easy and available choice, I don't think what I was seeing was fatigue. I think I was seeing a little of discomfort and confusion. I think you go from a couple of ball playing wide forwards to one on the right in particular who's not as comfortable, plus a fullback on the right who grew into the game and, and was fantastic, but you know hasn't started a lot. The team maybe not as familiar with him, so you put Oba and Chambers on the right, and you're going to really struggle to play out through that side. Um, and I, I thought that looked really obvious. Chambers had one pass in the first 10 or 15 minutes, and it was a back pass from the opening kickoff. That was it. The ball wasn't going through him. You've changed up the center backs, so the play out from the back you know, is, is going to be changed up. And now you've got Saka, who had been playing on the right, on the left, having to readjust to that. I, I just think it's a lot of things for the team to have to kind of adjust to with two days of preparation against a team that is rested and is going to be full. Now, Arteta said he had a plan for why he wanted Oba on the right, and I think a lot of people have referenced it, and it's sensible. And he said, we expect, you know, we expect to have more of the ball. Um, look. Did he say that? Well, he, he said, you know, we, you know, we, Basically, he said we had a plan. It was a smart plan for playing, you know, for something like playing with in possession, but we didn't play well. Look, Clive, the, the fact of the matter is they had more of the ball in those first 15, 20 minutes than we would have expected. And I mean, they had 80% of it, so of course they did. Once we came to tr- grips with that, and they got that 3-0 lead and started to play in a manner that was more like what we expected, which was 30% possession, we absolutely beat them to, to, to a, a fine pulp. I guess what I would ask you is, and we can come to some of the goals we conceded and why we specifically conceded those, because I think those are separate issues. But just in terms okay, of the I'll pattern you, of play. What happened. Well, okay, yeah, yeah fire, fire away. Yeah, Free so, <laughs> okay, so, no, full disclosure, I wasn't too happy with Aubameyang on the right, and my reasons for that is I just don't think he scores as much on the right. right? And when he has played out wide, 
He's either played on the left when we played four at the back, or he's played um, left or right sometimes when we played three at the back. And then he's got the hybrid midfielder supporting him, doing some water carrying for him. And so we have a very left-sided bias. And so it sort of worked. When we've gone 4 2 3 1, it's a different game completely. Right? So, what did West Ham do? So, West Ham quite early were quite physical. And I, my eyes were on Suchek actually, because I hadn't really watched him closely. So, my eyes were on him. And he was quite physical, particularly with Shaka. And Shaka didn't look right. And I was worried very early, because I know he's due one soon. He plays a lot of matches. He got boshed off by he got boshed off by Suchek early in the challenge. I thought, wow, because Shaka's a big body, you know, and he got moved. That concerned me. And then there was one uh, bit of work down our uh, left hand side, sorry, our right back side. And they crossed it, and I watched Suchek. He just dropped it off, and he just lumbers into the middle. And I watched him run past Shaka. Shaka didn't pass him on, and he went into the middle, and then and he headed it just past the post. And I thought, Shaka's not at it. I'm looking at this. When I watched it, I had to thought I'd better watch it again today because I know you were pretty peed off about the first thirty. So I thought, let me get myself in Elliot's room. Right. <laughs> so what happened? What happened? So they started playing quite well, and then um, we got away with it with the Suchek header, etc. And then we got to a situation where we got a bit of possession and we, we were fine. It was absolutely fine. The ball breaks and they just woof it downfield to Jared Bowen and he runs into the box with Pablo Marie. And they get their territory back then because what they want to do is play in our half. That's what they want to do. Channel balls, Antonio going over to the left, Ben Rama on the left, Cresswell on the left. And basically, and Lingard coming to the left on his right foot, right? So they really loaded that side. So straight away, you look at the plan of having our striker with a striker's mentality, not a Maitland-Niles or a Saka in behind him, sort of doing that wall carrying, but maybe a, an Odegaard, you know what I mean? A double pivot having to stretch out into that side. You're thinking, hold on, he better come back. And, they, and, they, and neither of them really do. You know, Odegaard does on occasion, Aubameyang does. And so... The, the, tw- the stick or twist scenario where you want Cresswell to be kept back, that wasn't working. They were pushing us back with territory long balls into the channel. They were refilling it, setting it, and then crossing it into the box. Cross after cross after cross, creating opportunities to shoot, etc. So they basically cut, killed our game plan. Just give the opposition some credit. They killed our game plan. They loaded the box early, and they crossed early. Right? So, fine. They made the game long, which forced us to sort of fight for first ball, second balls, and we didn't win our duels, right? We just didn't win them. So now we're playing their game. They're playing a long game, territory game, crossing game, big bodies into the box. Bamyang's on the right, right-hand side. Bamyang is a striker by every bone in his body. He's now playing West Ham's game. He's now trying to track people, don't know where to be. Now Saka is a midfielder forward. <laughs> we all know what Bamyang is. So I do think it had an effect on how we defended that side. I do think it had an effect. I think we nullified two players that have recently shown ability on the opposite side they were actually deployed on this game. So you have to hold your hand up to that. I thought the other changes that were made, I was absolutely fine with. Um, so I think that had, but we have to give West Ham credit. I don't think some of the depths of reaction I've seen are really worth it. We're not talking about two dodgy players here. We're talking about Bamiyang and Saka. And we're talking about fractions. We're talking about a game plan. We talk about two players that are basically carried us for the last 12 months between them. Mm-hmm. So we, it's it's really fine 
margins. And I think some of the reactions I've seen have been way over the top for that change. But really, West Ham were arrested. They had a plan. They wanted to jump on us really quickly because they knew we were sleeping. They knew we'd be a little bit tired. They knew we wanted to play out the first quarter. And they didn't want to allow us to. And they get their first goal, a very good goal. You've got to come onto goals, I recognise that. But I just want to say that it was a territory game, almost like a game of rugby. <laughs> almost like a game of rugby. Mm-hmm. And and Antonio ran Louise and he had Louise fishing a little bit, coming short, dipping in behind him, Shane was having to run back. And it looked like they just loaded up on our right back side into that right back channel with Louise and Chambers. And Abamyang didn't really support. And it was just a bit challenging. We had party on the touchline trying to track Lingard. When you start seeing your double pivot out on the touchline running with a with a 10-11 type player, you already know you've got a problem. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and party stopped him, but you're thinking, something's in the post here, lads. What are we going to do? And you're looking at Abamyang to come and help. Is that the best use of your resource? I don't think so. So I understand people who are upset with that, but I don't think it was massive. I just can give you the scenario that West Ham played into, and we weren't able to play into him to force a change in their game plan until a little bit later on. Yeah. Can I add? I, I would love that, yes. Um, so, like, you don't want Aubameyang... Uh, deployed like that necessarily defensively, but either side he was on, he was going to have to do that. And he did do it. I mean, if you remember in the first 10 minutes or so, he, he runs with, he comes from behind, um, runs the uh, kind of half the length of the pitch to track a guy down, take the ball off him and turn around. He did cover back yeah. uh, in front of chambers. It's not like he wasn't providing some level of co- comfort and, or some level of support there. Arteta um, disagrees with you, just as a heads up. Would it have been any different had he been covering the other side? I well, mean, he goes to sleep on the other side for their third goal. So, yeah, I mean, it's a huge problem. Wait, was the thir- which, which is so, the goal that Antonio scores? Because uh, Aubameyang goes fully to sleep on that and lets the cross come in, just walking. Yeah, the... So the third goal is Antonio's then, yeah, header. That's the one Arte- but, but I mean, the only reason I said so, Arteta so disagrees be- with you, Paul, is his exact quote is, I moved him to the left because he wasn't giving help defensive-wise. Like, he, he literally says that. Um, yeah. But, so, uh, I mean, but, you know, that's his okay. opinion. He may be wrong. He's, he's entitled <laughs> to his opinion. But I watched it, and he, he it was not man. like he, he was sure. not covering back in an Obama-Yang way, right? I. It wasn't. It doesn't have the intensity of somebody like a Saka covering back, but he was doing it. And if he was, if he, if you were of the opinion he wasn't doing it enough on the right, then he wouldn't have been doing it enough on the left. On the West Ham point, like one, once you make the decision you're going to play lack up front, and I can get my head around that, then you're going to have Aubameyang on one side or the other. He wasn't doing nothing. He just he's just not going to give you that intensity. So. You know, it's death by bongo bongo. Um, I'm not giving the you West- the title again for that, so stop <laughs> using it. So the other point is the people losing their shit over us against West Ham and how they were, we should have reamed them. You know, we've got to be somewhat consistent. And for those of us who say we're a different team since December 26th, I think we are. I think we're a significantly better team. Um and when you look at December 26th onward, we are absolutely neck and neck with West Ham for number of points of the same number of games 
it's not like they turned to shit and we got good. Um, we sh- they're also better at home than away, even in in COVID times. We should not have expected that we were going to ream them, even though that's what the last is it, sixteen is that minutes the goal post might slightly have... though. Or I, just, hang on, I, just only because I totally agree with everything you've said. But we were monstered for half an hour and down three nil. Like I don't like whitewashing that to be. Hey, we weren't quite at the races, and then we came back. We got monstered for half an did. hour. It's did, yeah. the worst we've played this season. We also got monstered. Is but not they good. They scored the third goal after we'd swapped yes, the side of Aubameyang and Saka, and, and I think and that they did were make still it stronger. No, look, so I'll read Mikel's quote just real quick, just so people don't think I'm misrepresenting it. With the way we wanted to play, it made... Asked why he played Aubameyang on the right. With the way we wanted to play, it made all the sense for him to play there, but we didn't have the ball, right? So that's part one. He's basically saying, mm-hmm. we felt that if we had possession, you know, Aubameyang keeping Cresswell back, whatever. We, we it won every he ball. He then says, just he could not have any influence in the game. I decided to switch them because we were having issues on that side defensive-wise. And the irony is... Again, Aubameyang goes to sleep for the third goal once he switched to the left. I do think we started to improve in the game when he switched, and part of that is Chambers started to grow into the game. I felt when Chambers had Aubameyang on his side, Chambers was a target. He was a little bit weak, and we were having trouble progressing the ball. And when Saka moved over there, and they were able to create some triangles, it started to work better um, in general, because Party, Odegaard, Chambers, Saka, they all got in the game. The left side, with Tierney, um, uh, Aubameyang and Shaka, I actually thought was a weakness in this game. We can probably get into that a little bit. I don't want to spend any more time on the the bad part of the game. I just think, you know, to me, if this ends 3-2, the first 30 minutes is the whole game. And I don't think you can whitewash it and say, ah, oh, we just weren't quite at the races when you're 3-0 down, outshot 8-1, outpossessed in the first 15 minutes, 80% to 20. Like, it just... It well, wasn't what, just what is a mediocre. I think because we were totally bossed in that period. And you know what I don't think it, think it was because Aubameyang was on the right. I do. I think Aubameyang on the right. I think. Oh, I, I think we Ob- lost what, balls all over the pitch. Yeah, every again, side, the, every area. Yeah, for, and I think the reason is that we faced a good team in good form with plenty of preparation and 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 rest and readiness but i think we faced them in a system and positioning that we weren't totally comfortable with and in a 15 minute period where we were trying to get comfort with our changes they were absolutely at the races and those two things combined but, to be a massive one of the changes mismatch. was chambers on the right so that's a different in itself it, that's Everything a different was, kind. Marie coming in, Chambers coming in, Oba on the right, Saka on the left, Lacazette coming back in. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a lot so of it's change. lots of things, not right. just yeah, yeah, Oba. No, oh, no, 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 sorry. You may have misunderstood. I don't think it's purely Oba on the right. Sorry, Paul, I, I misunderstood. I'm Damn. saying I think the degree of changes he made for this game from something that has proven effective since Boxing Day caused us 15 or 20 minutes of adjustment that was met with some great football by them. Why he made those changes? I understand why he swatched, switched Gabriel. I think it was too clever by half. I mean, ultimately, I I, I think I think he I mean, made too many changes with too little preparation. Yeah, okay. I mean, and by the way, you know what may have affected this? Smith Rowe apparently wasn't fit enough to start, and William mm-hmm. wasn't in the side. He was he was unfit. So at that point, he was almost forced. In I mean, he could have gone Martinelli and Saka with Oba up front. It's pretty clear he doesn't want to do that. So he was already being forced into trying something a little different from what we've been doing. And I acknowledge that. But I think, you know, and I think the reason, my, my argument, ironically, I think one of the reasons he may have moved Saka to the left 
is if you look at who's been playing on the left in Smith Rowe, he probably wanted more of a high touch, you know, midfield comfortable left-sided player to more closely ape the kind of role that that Smith Rowe was. No, again, it's not that the changes don't make sense intellectually. I'm not saying they're dumb. I'm saying I feel it proved to be too much change with not enough preparation time, and we got caught cold trying to adapt while West Ham were in a period of playing really well on the front foot. I think the two might have also got bashed for having kept the team even closer to what it was before and them all been tired and fatigued. So uh, I, I don't like, we had three dumb goals. Um, and, and like, there are moments in games, uh, but they were always going to be much stronger than us in the first 20 minutes, the way we came out. I mean, they were, I want to move on, but I'm going to just finish it with this. The reason this bothers me is, I can explain anything away too. It's not hard to explain why nothing matters. It's not hard. It's really easy to explain why nothing matters. We were down 3-0 at a half hour after a half hour against West Ham. It matters. It was bad. And if we can't accept that we played poorly in that period, then we don't accept to play that we played well that we played well following that. They both matter. So I, I wouldn't be advocating we played well. No, we played like they to- terribly. They bashed us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, it happens. And yeah. I, and and if you want to say it just yeah, happens because so it real, happens, it's fine. Real, there the has real, to be a reason. The real issue, the real issue is, teams are going to have their moments against us. Right? That's the that, that's going to happen in for the rest of time. People are going to have their periods like this. We don't have to <laughs> hold on a minute. Hold on. We don't have to concede three goals during that period. Yeah. That's the issue. West Ham had their period. We had a period. They pushed us back, nearly got a penalty. They scored a good first goal. We're asleep. Almost 35 seconds later, we're asleep. That's terrible. For two goals. And then the next attack is three. It's like three, I don't know, about six, seven minutes. That's all it was. So in a period of of poor play, we managed to maximize the damage. And that's, that's been happening to us a lot, thing. unfortunately. Exactly. You that's know, the message. We've been paying that's the full theme. price for our errors. You know? <laughs> that's the theme. It's not the fact that we swapped over two superstars from one side to the other, although it was a contributory factor. The issue with this team is what happens when we're down? We are so down. Right? It's so far. Like I said yesterday, the floor of this team is low. We've got to lift that floor. When we're having a bit of a jog up, we haven't got to concede three goals. Other teams can just see off average 6 out of 10 play. We can't. We do something amazingly bad or stupid and we maximise something. We compound the flatness of a group who has a very good excuse for being flat given the intensity of the week that we've had. Two European games that West Ham have not played in a fortnight. And you load up into this game. They did exactly the right thing. Overload, overload, high pressure, high territory, busy, quick restarts. Let's get around them. Let's smash them. Let's see how much they want it in the first 20. Let's, let's control the story of this game. That's football, man. That's exactly what I would do if I'm playing Arsenal. Arsenal think, let's get our legs together. Let's just play the game, play our nice football, try to move the ball around and see if we can work our way into this game. We've got good substitutes. We can bring them on and win the game in the last 20. That's what I would do. You know what I mean? And West Ham weren't having it. And, and you to, to be fair, them, look. You have to give them praise for that. You, have you to can give be them at the ropes. You can be on the ropes. You don't have to concede three goals, to your point. The second goal is the one that really annoys you because all you have to do is be awake. All you have to do is be awake. There's five Arsenal players not even looking at the ball. And I have to say, Tierney, who we love, Tim gave him a stock falling in the instant reaction pod and watching again, like, unfortunately, I think, you know, look, 
Nobody's perfect every game. He's wonderful. We love him. It wasn't a strong game from him. He's got to stand over that ball there. I, I, you know, Leno, I was really harsh on Leno seeing this goal. Someone said Marie gets a, a, did. a touch so on I watched it. it. The yeah. little touch, yeah, little touch. And I mean, I still so don't think it should go through your legs and under your hands near post, even with a little touch. Just get lower, you know, be deeper in your squat or whatever the expression would be. But, like, um, now this arguing has gotten me off well. my good mood. I was in a great mood listening to me now. I'm all grumpy and pissy. Um, yeah, I think because you're thinking we're trying to whitewash that period over, and I did explain to you why I think it, it happened. It might be the people Elliot was arguing with beforehand because – like, we both think we sucked in the first 20 minutes. Yeah, exactly. And I just tried to explain to you why. And they did a good job on us. They out physical us down the centre. Yeah. And they pushed us into the right corner. I don't think Chambers was weak. I think he was alone. Well, right? yeah. That's what yeah. I think he was. Arteta he was alone. Well, yeah. yeah, he was absolutely alone. He was overloaded. They went into that side. We do it all the time to people, don't we? Mm-hmm. We overload once. And we and we basically, we do that. We, we overload one side. And we make sure that they are... That fullback is under pressure. Normally, the right back. They did. They did the same to us. And that's good. The most important thing is you recognise it, but you don't have to concede three goals while you recognise it. That's that's the problem. <laughs> no, you, know you sure don't. No. And I mean, that's look, we we've problem. been unfortunate, right, Clive? I mean, there's been every turnover seems to turn into a goal for the opposition. Every little mistake. I mean, you know, like even the Olympiacos game, the second leg. Okay, it's a Ceballos error. But they wind up scoring a goal where every angle is covered and they kick it off Gabrielle and it banks in. And, you know, Shaka makes an error and he, you know, against Burnley and he kicks it into his own net. And I mean, it just every error seems to be a goal. Going to sleep on the free kick, though, like that's just lack of professionalism and focus. Maybe it's fatigue, you know, but it that that ultimately winds up being decisive. I, I want to make sure we get to, though, what becomes yeah. a really <laughs> encouraging First of all, response and then performance. The the reason I say the word response is, as fans, and this may be more a fan tendency, I think, than is necessary all the time, but we're always looking to see if the team is fighting for the coach, fighting for the manager, if the team has belief in in what they're being asked to do. And I think we haven't seen capitulation from this team in months. And this was the perfect situation. There was a time there, 2-0, 3-0 down, where I started to worry, could it get worse? And the team got a hold of the game and I, I mean, obviously turned it around, got it to three three. But just in the way the game turned, in terms of our dominance and our ability to create that feeling that something could come of this game, yeah, you have to start by creating the feeling that you're the dominant force. And I think two players were really instrumental in that happening, maybe three. But the first one I want to talk about because we'll obviously talk a lot about Odegaard. This is a coming out party for him if he hasn't already had several of them. But but Paul Thomas party got his foot on the ball, got himself into the game. I think Shaka was struggling a bit, and Party just said enough. And he was, I think, the first catalyst for this change. And then obviously in the last period of the game, which we'll get to when he was playing as the lone midfielder, he really came alive as well. But, you know, again, I referenced the By the Numbers column, and I think everyone should go look at it. Party just had the kind of dominant performance after that, after we were 3-0 down, that I think a lot of us have expected from him. And I'm not sure I saw it coming. I mean, he's he's had some errors lately. He's looked a little, you know, a little, uh, not out of form, but out of fitness maybe a little bit. But Paul, yeah. for me, I mean, he is one of the real catalysts for the turnaround here. Did you see him as, as equally influential? Uh, yeah. Uh, 
is this about me picking uh, Chaka for my stock rising? In you didn't the have to admit reaction. that on the free pod. <laughs> There's a lot of people here who don't don't need to know that you did that. <laughs> so, of course, I went back and had a really good look at it afterwards. And look, just to explain that that wobbly I threw on the, you and 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 Clive had been building me up just before that saying that although I had a lot of dodgy sounding takes when you listen to them afterwards, they sounded not so shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt this was the invulnerable, <laughs> yeah. like just immortal. And I picked Chaka for reasons I still can't quite explain. Listen, I think he was pretty good uh, at times and a bit stodgy at other times. But what I liked was, again, it was a game in which he said, uh, you know, when he had his mo- when Chaka, I know this is the party section, but when Chaka had his opportunities and moments, I actually think he was mostly pretty good, but he gave party the dance floor. And, you know, you started to see, uh, I always hate, <laughs> I always worry about that expression. You see him spreading his legs, uh, but you did with party. He started to kind of dominate the center of the pitch against two excellent midfielders who'd had the run of us for 20 minutes. Uh, Party and Chaka um, began to to get a hold of this game and to dominate the center. Uh, and they, you know, Party in particular, but also Chaka started to find Odegaard, who I've decided, I'm going to do a Clive here. I always call Odegaard, I know we're going to have an Odegaard section, I always call a player like that an eye of the storm player and always meaning starting about five minutes ago. Um, <laughs> his his ability to go into the most inten- where the the three elements of the storm meet the, between the lines where all the action was to be in there and to have this moment of calm. And they and party in particular just kept firing, firing it in there, finding him, moving it on quickly. And while I think Chaka like I say, had a better game than many think he did. He's never going to fire that ball in as fast and uh, thread the eye of the needle the way Party does through the middle of the pitch. Because the other thing Chaka won't give you quite as much is through the middle of the pitch. Like he did his better work up the side there, and at times that paid off for us. But this this is has become something in recent times where we actually use the center of the pitch. And Odegaard comes towards the center because he's a left-footed player playing from the right, so he naturally swings in that way. This is something we haven't had all season and and maybe uh, since before Emery came, where we actually have a player, Sesk-like, who can stand in the most intense part of the pitch, handle that pressure, pressure, uh, spin, turn, find a ball out, play through the middle. Lacazette was really good in this too, in terms of linking up with him. And I, I think um, we may get to see more, not less, Lacazette starting because he is technically a much better uh, linking up player. And those three began to have a field day finding each other in the middle of the pitch. Um, but between party, Chaka, I think physically we were able to uh, play around them, dominate them, and then the party to Odegaard supply line, the way he fired it in there, lit them up through the middle. And once you can attack them down the middle and make them feel uncomfortable, like we've had games where we've had possession dominance like we did against West Ham, and we ended up putting in 50 bloody crosses. 
We didn't put in crosses. We, we went up the middle, ran the sides, cutbacks. Uh, they didn't know where we were going to come at them next. And that's what that, that middle supply line gave us. Mm. I think party enables the Odegaard game to be as effective as it is by yeah. giving him the ball 19 times. Um, but, you know, his numbers were sensational. The most carries he's had all season, the most progressive passes he's had all season, uh, the most final third entries he's had this season. He led the team in final third entries with 16. Uh, he had three shot creating actions. He he was everywhere. He had the most carries, 79 carries um, and 14 progressive carries. You know, again, his most this season, it was second on the team. Progressive carries only Odegaard, obviously, <laughs> had more. So I just, I just think... Phenomenal and seventeen loose ball recoveries, his most this season, and, and led led the team. So he he wakes up when we are down three nil. I mean, if you're going to wake up, that's a good time to do it. Ninety two percent passing, by the way, for a guy who I think has recently been a bit loose. Just a great dominant performance. And Clive, that that dominance, you know, it's everything we've talked about with him when he's at his best. But he did it for a consistent period of an hour, just constantly get it look up the pitch, make a progressive pass, make a final third entry, carry the ball beyond defenders, get us out of that first phase so we can get into the attacking phase and get it to the guy who's going to do the damage. That's Odegaard 19 times. It's just a great all-around performance. So, uh, you know, I, I'd i like to sort of move on and talk Chambers and Odegaard because I think they're two other players that deserve a lot of focus here during that that sort of middle, middle 35 minutes where we really got into the game. But I don't want to cut you out of party because I know you love the player and this was the kind of game that that makes you look right, you know? <laughs> it's not about being right. It's about, I mean... I, I oh, do think I beg people, to differ. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think people are, are waiting for a bad pass to critique him. And I just think, well, you, you, you're not... It, just just have a look at what he's doing. There was there was some dummies and no-touch turns. And first touch beating two men. I mean, just just tell me the last time we see that in our centre midfield. Because mm-hmm. I'm waiting. Right? So the stuff he's doing is remarkable in my opinion he took one goal kick just controlled it we did a rewatch earlier i'll show it to you promise you did a good goal kick just controlled it no one went near him there's no point it was over he can create new lanes we can all see what he can do it was just fitness for me it was just fitness and when he hits a wall he hits a wall you know it's like a box in the ring you run out of petrol that's it it's over you know and he, he hits a wall I think he's got a desperation to prove himself. That's, that's, that explains some of the shots. So people put a couple of dodgy square passes and a couple of shots over the bar and say parties play bad. I'm so glad sometimes for statistics because that shut people down. Listen to Charles Watts last night. He was doing his sort of uh, player ratings and he was just critiquing a, a party. Then he went for the stats and went, oh, I didn't realize yeah, this is a good game. I mean, he caught him by surprise. I think people are struggling to adapt to what they're seeing because we don't normally have this type of player. We don't normally have a player that can create a lane and disguise passes into the into the final third that people can't even see coming, and it's through them. You know, they're passing do this all the time: disguise passing, Busquets disguise pass through the lines, entry pass into last third, half turn, turn around onto the back four. How many times did we do it? It's not an accident. It's skill. It's technique. It's using your eyes, using your body shape. I thought he had his best game for Arsenal easily. And the things I look for is his speed, actually. When he was on the touchline, recovery speed was really quick. And I was looking, thinking, mechanically, you're looking better. 
I don't think, I just was thinking, you're not going to break down today. You're not going to be injured. When he, he almost runs with a limp when he's not quite right. You know, that mm. makes sense. And he was bumming down that line. I'm thinking, you're at it today. You're at it. And once he took over, I think it might be the first time he had more passes or touches than Shaka in the game. And so with, with party getting this many touches, we look like this. And I tell you, last night, I, after watching that game, I rewatched it immediately. There's a comp of Odegaard going around about four or five minutes, and most comps are two, three minutes. The fact is four or five minutes tells you all you need to know. I think I watched that about 80 times last night, and because it was that good, I could barely sleep with the excitement of how we played offensively in this game for the last hour because I think, well, I've been waiting for that. I think we've been waiting for that for a long time. And the way we did it was almost like looking back into yesteryear. It looked very much like an Arsenal team and, and party was at the base of that. Mm. Just real quick, Clive, I know it's not the sort of part of the game we're talking about right now, but I'd, I'd love to just get your thoughts quickly on the evolution of a system that we see late in the game when Shaka comes off. And I struggled to really get a sense of what that formation was, so I went back and watched it a little bit more today. You, you theorize that it might be a bit of a four-three-three, and I agree with you. It was a, it was an eight with I mean it was a, a you know a, a a six with two eights and yeah. party party was at the base, and you had Smithrow and uh, Odegaard just sort of flitting in front of him. Now look, there's going to be a temptation to say that was brilliant because we piled on the pressure, and that's the future. I think it's worth remembering we got cut absolutely to pieces at times too. Um, and, and Antonio yeah. should win the game. And then Tierney has to make two sensational blocks to, to save the game as well. So let's not get over our ski tips, but party basically well, was a, a one man central midfield in that period. He looked perfectly comfortable doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what we need from him. And in that central zone, what we do on the outside and to left back zone, that's for, that's for the future. But I will say we all, we've said in the past that this team will develop past Shaka at some point. Now, I think Shaka's been brilliant, as most has done recently. Uh, he's had a couple of dodgy moments, which we can, you know, Burnley and um, Burnley, basically. <laughs> Burnley, a couple of dodgy moments. But I've always felt the team will develop past him, and I hadn't really worked out what that would be and what that would look like. And I was hoping we'd go and buy somebody that would make it obvious. But actually, it's not about who we buy. It's about how we play. And there was a period in this game where we were playing a style of football that he could not get the ball where he needed it to be to play the pass that was on. And sometimes when the pass was on, he didn't have the dexterity to drop the ball where it needed to be against a mid-low block. He didn't have it. In the end, all he did was just give it to party. And that's why he came off. Because Mikel wanted somebody else. If the passing lane to party was blocked, he could create his own shot, if you know what I mean, Elliot. Create his own pass, create his own shot. That's why Smith Rowe went on, because he fancied him to get on the ball. And if a lane's blocked, he could still create something from that side to add to the creativity, whereas the game didn't require Shaka's skill set. If this team's going to move forward and we're going to look something like this, that's how Shaka's going to get developed past or evolved past, because he suddenly looked a little bit clumpier than he normally does. And I'm not one of those people that said he shouldn't play for Arsenal. I think he's been great for Arsenal. And, and I think we're going to need him again. He needs to be rested. I mean, he plays all the minutes. But to this day, I felt the team evolved away from him. And the car keys were handed over to the bloke in the middle, who was fantastic. Yeah, Elliot, can I chip in on your point about how vulnerable Well, if you're going to chip in looked... on my point, yes, I would. I would then, then absolutely, you have the green light. Go for it, please. Oh, good, good. <laughs> uh, like, 
if you think of Pep playing with Fernandinho in that spot and and two two attacking eights ahead of him, if that's Smith Rowe, well now yeah, it's... and in our case Smith Rowe and and Odegaard, for example, he doesn't have his two uh, uh, fullbacks on the front line, which is what we were doing here, and obviously we were just gung ho going for it. Um, so like Party would have had say Chambers or whoever tucking in to provide some extra support. We wouldn't be as uh, leaning forward as we were. So um, hopefully with just some slightly more rational uh, play, we could adjust this uh, city style midfield three without it uh, going totally to shit the other way. Cause you're right. They had us, there was a spell of, of play where for five minutes or so, they just came at us time and time again, two, three mm. attacks um, where it all could have gone horribly wrong. But <clears throat> apart from that, it was really exciting down the other end. But, but man, we were really loading one side of the dice here. So, um, yeah, yeah. It'd be, it, it, it would be, it'll be fascinating to see if we can get to a point where we could play with two attacking eights. Really interesting twist in what we do. The toothpaste almost entirely up the far end of the yeah. tube. So. Yeah, well, and you need the players to do it, right? I mean, yeah. so now, I mean, if Odegaard were to stay and with Smith Rowe's development, or even if it's Saka, you could you could see it. I mean, we know that that Arteta is going to be a keen Pep watcher, and Pep has got this three-two-two-three going on, where it's like two center backs and a, and a fullback, then two cent- well, a central midfielder and the other fullback, and then two eights, and then three forwards, and we can absolutely do that. Right, I mean, we have the personnel for that now, so I'd be curious to see if that's how it develops. I, I think I want to give Chambers his due, but we got to get to about the smoothest, most beautiful, cleanest thing we saw this weekend. And hopefully for you, that was some beautifully shaved privates, baby. This is a Manscaped promo. I have been looking forward to this all weekend. I've been thinking about this because I'm very proud of Manscaped and proud to be aligned with them because right now, they partnered with Alex Caruso and the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection. Um, you know, I, I I think all of us have been touched at some point or another. Uh, that's a weird thing to say during a promo about this kind of stuff, but but by cancer specifically. And Manscaped is committed to raising awareness for the most common form of cancer in men aged 15 to 35, giving support for fighters, survivors, and families impacted by testicular cancer as part of the We Save Balls initiative, which uh, in this instance is uh, obviously extremely important. So uh, they are supporting that initiative. They're, they're giving to, to charity. And obviously, with all the things I love about Manscaped, I'd love to put that right at the top of this mention to them, that, that they are working to support the um, early detection and treatment of testicular cancer. So that's great to see. And, and what a perfect natural uh, brand alignment that is with, with a great cause. So uh, what they're pushing right now is the performance package. It's the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. And I'm actually kind of jealous because I have the the lawnmower 3.0, as you know, which is the single greatest body trimmer ever. Uh, chest hair. You can do your sideburns. You can do your privates. You can get totally clean and shaved because it's got the skin, skin safe technology. It's it's waterproof. It's battery operated. But now the the performance package comes with the nose hair trimmer, the weed whacker. It does ear and nose hair. See, I find this important because you know if your privates need to be trimmed, you can just look down there. And you should look down there. Be proud of yourself. But like, I'm always scared that like I have nose hair that I don't know about because I'm getting older and it's starting to grow or ear hair. And the only way I can know is if someone calls it out. And at that point, I'd be mortally embarrassed. So they use the same skin safe technology uh, with the weed whacker, which does the ears and the nose 
which is great, okay? Uh, get you looking perfect everywhere. Plus, uh, you're going to get the free gifts with this one. So you're going to get the underwear, which I'm presently wearing. You will get the travel bag for your, um, you know, the shed bag for your toiletries. And you'll get uh, a couple of their wonderful toners and things like that, hygiene products. So get it. It's the number one performance package, okay? Manscaped performance package. You get 20% off and free shipping with code ArsenalVision. Code ArsenalVision. All one word, because it is all one word. Arsenal Vision, 20% off and free shipping. So uh, thanks to Manscaped for supporting a great cause with their partnership with the Testicular Cancer Society. And thanks to them for this great package. <laughs> no pun intended, or maybe maybe pun intended. Hope you will go and get it. Get the ears, get the nose, get the privates, get the chest, get all of it. Because when this pandemic is over, what are we doing? We're running in the street. We're dropping our pants. We're all going to celebrate each other's beautiful privates. Because God knows it's overdue. And that is enough of that. Manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision, save 20% and free shipping. Clive, is that enough of that? Yeah, that certainly is. Good cause, though, but that's that's as tough as always. <laughs> <laughs> you gritted your teeth a little less during the during the Testicular Cancer Society mention, though. Yeah, that, exactly. Good. It's a good cause. It's a very good cause. Yep. And I, I do agree with the brand alignment. So, yeah, <laughs> let's move on. Move Perfect. on. Moving on. Job, job. Moving on. Okay. So, uh, we are going to get to the smoothest thing this side of Manscaped uh, Privates, though, which is Callum Chambers. Uh, no, I'm kidding. It's Martin Odegaard. We will get to Callum Chambers. Paul, I'll start with you. Od- Odegaard obviously went absolutely nuclear. And if you do check out the um, By the Numbers column that I mentioned before that, that 7 a.m. kickoff did for, for our blog, he just lays it out. Uh, he had 11 shot creating actions in this game. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne leads the league, averaging just over six a game. 11 from Odegaard in this game. And Party was the supply line to him, but then he did everything else. And it's funny because he doesn't wind up with an assist directly, but everything we create, I mean, we had, what, 15 shots and 11 of them. He's either the pass for the shot or the pass before that one. So just his his touch his ability to find the space, move it up the pitch. And I, I don't know if he was doing it right away. That first 30 minutes, I, I think he was maybe dropping in too much. But once he found the space and, and started getting the ball between the lines, he was unstoppable. This was um, this was a really a, a tour-de-force performance from him, wasn't it? Yeah, it was phenomenal. Um, I, like, I, I did a bit of scouting on him, and so he's been very much like I expected, but better. Um he was so good in tight spaces in this thing. I did. I knew he was good. I didn't know he was this good. I mean, they could not take the ball off him. Um, it was so sesky, like the best sesk, uh, central, pulling the strings. And then the personality he brought as well. Um, you know, uh, Arteta talked about how uh, Odegaard s- stepped up when everybody else was kind of trembling. And the personality, the confidence of the way he played, uh, and, and not only his own game, he'd be on the ball and he'd be pointing at Chambers to run forward, as we've seen, I've seen him do in other games with Bellerin or whoever. He'll he'll tell the fullback where he wants them to be uh, to send a diversionary run. He then puts the ball the other way. Um, so he's starting to pull the strings. And so people know where the North Star is, where the play is coming through. Um all that talk earlier in the year about people not making runs, people not becoming available, uh, like Odegaard solves all that because, A, he's got the ball. B, he can do anything he wants with it. C, he knows what he wants to do with it. And D, he tells people where to go. 
And before you you know it, he's directing traffic. He's the traffic lights. People are making the runs. They're getting into the positions because they have the confidence to know if he tells them they should move up, if they should be in that pocket, if they should be in that space, they should have made that run, that that's what they should have done. And uh, I just think this is this was a massive turning point for us in terms of the level we could play at. Um, and that it was through the middle. I mean, we've had good games in the past where we've done good things along the sides where a team will allow you space. I, I call this, this is the kind of player I call an eye of the storm player. I don't know if you've ever heard me use that term before. But that's in particular what I was wound up about with this, that he did this right in the center of the park. The one place you can't do it against West Ham because they won't let you in that box between their center backs and their mm. midfielders. They won't let you have that zone. You have to go going to go down the sides. And he's like, fuck that. And Party's like, you know, uh, Clive talked about Party's speed, but the other speed he has is the quick release and the fizz on his pass is like straight up. Like for a big guy to zip a pass with n basically no backlift, it's just pop the balls there. Um, you know, uh, I love Chaka. I think he had good aspects to his game, even in this game. But you see his passes coming a mile away, right? He he winds up and the leg swings, and sure, it's, you know, he's got a wand and he curves it. Party bang. He, there's no backlift. It's like a flex of the ankle and the ball pops up to Odegaard. He's right in the middle of it. You can't telegraph that pass. If you do, the guy's dead. Um, and like those two just fizzing around. Lacazette as well uh, was really nice in the middle, pinging it between those two guys. So uh, this is exciting. When you can take a team down the middle, they can't sleep and they get rattled. And we saw them rattled. And I think that helped Chambers a lot coming up the wings too. He, we're about to talk about him, but... Part of that is knowing that the set, the defense won't be settled on that side because you pull them all to the center where Odegaard is. They can't leave him alone. They've got to add another body from one side, another body from the other side. And before you know it, Chambers is one-on-one. -on -one. Mm. And he, he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, I don't use the term Sesk-like too often. I'm not sure we'll be able to say it about too many games, but he was Sesk-like for 60 minutes. Yeah, it... It's a fantastic performance, and it it really had so many different qualities to it. Carries, through balls, uh, you know, co close combination, close control. You know, he covered all the ground. He, he played every type of pass. He had a through ball into Pepe that was sensational. He had, you know, for the own goal, well, I guess there are two own goals technically, but for the, the Chambers cross, it becomes an own goal. It's, it's a sensationally disguised pass from Odegaard out to Chambers, who deserves credit for the hustle to overlap and get into that space. Um, you know, I, I just, I loved every bit of this performance. And Clive, it, it's, you know, it's so telling that he's he's having so much influence already. He's young, he's on loan, he's new to the club. But quality just shines through when it's at this level. And I, I think he is starting to show that from a pure class and talent standpoint, he's really at, at a level that goes far beyond much of what we've seen, um, you know, in that playmaking role for a long time. And I, I know there were a lot of people that were, you know, hoping that we would find, I don't even want to invoke the name, but hoping that we would find someone to play the 10. Smith Rowe was doing it briefly before Odegaard showed up, and I still think he has a big future there. But what this guy showed us against West Ham, 
I mean, at that level, the sky's really the limit for what he could be. Yeah, I like the term attacking mid rather than 10 because I yeah. think it boxes people into central zones and he doesn't just play in the central zone, he plays on the right-hand side as well. And, and basically, he, he, he ran the game. And from a, from a perspective, what I really liked about him was how he used his angles and how he uses interior, his own personal interior and how he uses his angles. So everything around his interior circle, the way he controls it and how he moves around it, how he comes out of the space that he's just left and comes back to it knowing it's still there is a wonderful thing because all he does that, but he uses two feet. He does it with one feet, which means you have to basically dance over the ball. He dances around the ball beautifully. He has an awareness of other people. He reads the game. He knows where to be before people know where. <laughs> he knows where to be before everyone else. It's no coincidence he's getting the ball in that amount of space, rolling off back lines, turning around, no one near him. Amazing. On the Chambers overlap, what's really impressive was how he commits people. So he commits people by using angles. He chops one way, chops the other way. When defenders see that, they freeze. What's he going to do next? So on the Chambers one, Chambers was free. He could just pass it out there straight away. If you pass it out there straight away, what happens is you don't commit the defender. Defender shuffles over. Chambers drops it back to him, and he puts a hopeful cross in the box. So what did Odegaard do? He drives to the left first, away from Chambers, they all come over to track his movement, and then he chops it back on a reverse. So he's created the reverse himself, which then he's not only passed to Chambers, he's put a, a letter on it and a bow. I said, by the way, I'm chopping it in there, and then you just all you got to do is cross it now. And that's what Chambers did, and we get the own goal from it. Mm-hmm. This guy is not just passing, he's putting messages on passing. On the, on the Pepe one, again, Pepe wanted to feed. He sent him. He sent him to the byline. He, he, he did that on purpose. He sent him to the byline and said, clip that in. Because all he could do was clip it in. He's giving you the ball. As we used to do this, by the way, give you the ball in such a way you've only got one thing to do. Which is either give it back to him around the corner. There's messages on his passes. There's pace on his passes. It, it's incredibly exciting. Incredibly exciting. And, and I'm trying to stay calm, right? Because we've seen big performances before. But I'm struggling. I'm struggling with this one. I, I do think he's a very, very, very interesting player. And sometimes in all our lives, you walk into a relationship that fits you and you meet that person at the right time. Yep. I've got a funny feeling he has keeping met him. Arsenal at the right time in his life. Yep. He keeping has him. met us and it just feels right for him. You know, I don't look, you sometimes look at a player and think, you know what, he's going to go soon. I look at this guy and think, you know, you actually need us as much as we need you. And and because he this level of performance, that's a new level of performance, even in his life, you know. So it's incredible, absolutely incredible. The intelligence, the right coach, how, the right team, the right player at the right time, and more importantly. So why I look at two? This what I always look at when I watch football. I look at the opposition, right? So Declan Rice and Suchek, fated as a wonderful double pivot. Elliot, I'm going to show you how crap they were tomorrow. I promise you, right? <laughs> I'm going to show you what they do wrong, right? So, so Suchek and Rice, big money. Rice, 60 million, probably going to go on Man United or Chelsea. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I saw the moment his soul left his body in this game. I actually saw it. Suchek was just running around, pointing, help me, help me, help me. Ben Rama coming. No, he, no three of you, not enough. See you later, boys. I'm going to twist you and turn you. I looked at Moyes. Moyes had his hands on his head trying to stop him. <laughs> he had his hands out wide. I urge you to watch it. He had his hands on his head trying to stop him. 
And then you look at the Arsenal players. How much did they defer to him? Everybody was creating angles to give it back to him. They were playing his game. Not only was he playing well, he was forcing other people to play his game. I can give no one any greater praise than that because that is huge as a footballer. You're so good. Mm. Players defer to you. And pause they know. for one second. Pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! All right, that is Paul. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, we let him go. Keep going, Clive. You're good. Yeah, when when you see people moving to create angles for him, because they know he's already seen the next path. The best, you know, heard me say it a million times. The best judge of players is other players. They know when someone's hot. They know when someone's good. I'm not saying they were all like, you know, carrying water for him totally, but they were moving in a way he wanted them to move. Because again, I think the the technical communication between the group was obvious. And this is why I'm so excited here, because there was a period in our recent history when we had technical, offensive, attacking midfield players that spoke a language on the pitch, that created things that were beautiful, that we associated to the coach. And now we haven't seen that. What do we say? We say, oh, the coach has got too much structure. I I get really annoyed by that. I get really annoyed by that. Because football is football, and football players define the structure. There are primary messages that a coach will give, but the rest is down to you and what you see and feel. And with this guy in the team, with and Smith rowing the team and Saka in the team, no one can tell me that they are forced to do things in a structure where they're playing to a pattern, they're playing to overloads and diamonds, and they want to get in those periods. But everybody wants to do that. Everybody wants superiorities. And you've got to manipulate the ball to do that. These guys have got the ability to manipulate the ball, to disguise it, to move people around, to dribble past them, to go long, to go short, receive it on the half turn, then the rest takes care of itself. You know, mm. so I'm 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 so excited. Maybe that's coming across, but I am so excited about what we saw at the weekend, I, and I can't wait to rewatch it. He's on a paltry wage because he's still on that that contract they gave him when he was young. It would be easy for Arsenal to give him the money. I think he would want to stay. It's just a question of you know if he's putting in performances like this game in game out. It doesn't matter what Zidane thinks about him. I don't know that Real Madrid's going to let him go, period. Um, we just have to praise it and keeps his job because if he does, that's our best chance to keep him. Four key passes led both teams. Five passes in the penalty area led both teams. Uh, 11 shot-creating actions led all players by most, the most by any Arsenal player this season, as I mentioned. Um, four attempted and four successful dribbles led all players. Two carries in the penalty area led all players. Um, you know, five carries in the final third, tied for the most by all players. <laughs> 17 progressive carries led all players. I mean, just look, you can see it with your eyes. You can see it in the data. Distance covered. 11.4 kilometers, number one. Yep, number one, all over the pitch, coming to the ball, dropping into pockets, just a really, really full, well-rounded performance and and one that is really exciting and yet a player that's not ours, hopefully one that will become ours, but, you know, that's another issue. We got a lot more to get to because before we get out of here, I want to give Lacazette his, his flowers. I think he deserves it. I want to praise Callum Chambers as well. And that inevitably means if we're going to praise those two, we got we to gotta talk a little bit about, about Aubameyang and the game he had. So let's start with the positive. Let's get to Callum Chambers. Um, he was picked, and Arteta said he was picked, for his size, for his defensive solidity. I thought early in the game, and I know you disagree, but I do think early when we were struggling, he was dropping into that line of three. We weren't dropping Shaka in like we normally do and letting him go up the pitch and be a midfielder. We were keeping Shaka in the midfield, and Chambers was dropping in a little bit with Marie and Louise. Now, maybe it didn't happen as much as I thought it was happening. It didn't work. Chambers eventually is forced to go into a more traditional fullback role, getting up the pitch. 
And that's where you would have thought, eh, it doesn't really suit him as much. He was brilliant. And everybody's going to focus on the couple of crosses, which is deserved. But what about that clipped first-time ball over the top to Lacazette that Lacazette almost floats in, you know, chips the keeper. It's the only, really the only play he has, so I think he does the right thing there. But, I mean, if Messi's playing that pass, we're cooing about it. Outside of the boot, for, boot first time, outside of his butt would be even more impressive, but he did it with his boot. Um, over the top, chip pass into Lacazette. Clive Chambers overlapped. He played in good, he played good balls. He he got into dangerous areas. He was was chipping the ball over the defense. He was just absolutely feeling it. He gets called Cafu by Carragher on the, the UK broadcast. I mean, a pretty good day for Callum Chambers. And, you know, I have to say, just for my point, I will always think of Callum Chambers as a center back because that's what he came into Arsenal and was at first, right? And sometimes when you think of a player a certain way else, oh, he's a converted center back. He can't run. He's too stiff. He's not a fullback. He got roasted by Montero that one time against Swansea. He's not, he's not a fullback. And then he goes to Fulham and he plays central defensive midfield and he's their player of the season. It's like, oh, he's not a fullback. He's central defensive. I, you have these preconceived notions about a player. He's, he's, too, he's not the right physical profile to be a fullback. He's not this. He's not that. But he's played it twice now in a couple of games. He's been really good in both Burnley and now again against West Ham. So, is are you? What's your evolving a pit position of Callum Chambers' uh, position in the pecking order here, but also just on the game you had specifically? Yeah, so we did sort of say, didn't we, pre-game that we thought, well, I, we, he might you play said it. in this P- game. Point blank, yeah, you it. said I could see Callum Chambers starting here. I thought about clipping that audio from the last podcast and putting it out, <laughs> but then I was like, you know, if I had said it, I'd do that. But it was Clive, so I'm not. Gonna <laughs> so I did fancy him to play because West Ham were giants, right? So I thought he might play, similar to Burnley. Um, the game changed. I thought this could be a test for him now. So people like were saying, like, like you were saying, he's getting done on that side, and I and I did look at it, and he was getting loaded up on that side, but not, you know, he was trying to stay with Ben Rama when really what's happening was we should have we should drop off a little bit more when there's no pressure on the ball and they're dropping the ball over. The Lingard ran in there. Louise got went fishing with with Antonio when he shouldn't have done. I don't think Louise and Marie work because I think they're both leaders and they, they don't want to take any messages from each other. So they're the wrong combination for me. And any of the other combinations were, but those two don't. And so we had a little bit of a, a jagged back line there and they were dropping the ball in there. The Callum Chambers running back doesn't look that great. And on their goal, he was just a fraction away from cutting out the Lingard goal. He recovered brilliantly. The, the line was perfect. Everything was good. He just missed it. And the reason why I, I sort of like him, you know my views on, on Bellerin, sometimes I think he's too active. He's hard to play off of in a role when we want him to be a little bit more underlapper with, with, with the winger ahead. Cedric is almost like a combination of Bellerin and, and Chambers. He, he can stand in, but his support plays a bit more intelligent. Bellerin very front-footed. But Chambers is probably the profile of fullback I'd like us to buy because I think we needed that you know, for the team. We need a bigger player, someone who can stand in that space. But actually, after that performance, <laughs> I've just, I just wish he could run a yard quicker on recovery because mm. he's... Ex- because sometimes with football, it's not just about you know how you play and what you can do. Sometimes you need to bring yourself to the show. And Callum Chambers has got a brilliant football character. You can just see it. Right? He brings character to this team. He was getting in the boxing free play. He was winning the ball in the air. He was. He wasn't just charging up and down like a like a three year old. He was timing his run, third man runs. He attacked the ball in such a way when the next thing was obvious. 
on, on one of the goals, he, he runs back with Ben Rama and he sprints back. He won match of day two last night. I didn't notice it in the game. But he sprints back with Ben Rama. He just about stays with him. The ball breaks down and he turns around and goes straight up the other end and sets up one of the goals. Right, So that sort of fitness, <clears throat> considering that's his second start, I mean, how hard have you got to work to do that, to get that level of performance out of yourself on the second game? And football sometimes comes down to micro moments. He's been at Arsenal since 2013, 2014. And I'm telling you, that maybe was a game for his Arsenal career. That one game may have decided whether he gets a contract again or not. He gets sold in the summer. Because that's what can happen sometimes. You can spend years and years and years at a club and you get an hour to show what you've got. If you don't cut it, you're, you're done. And and he did everything perfectly. I thought he was tremendous. And I've called him in the past. We, I, I don't think he's a centre-back. Never have felt it. I think he's too weak. He's played centre midfield. I, I like him there. But I also feel this role as an inverted right-back is perfect for him. Because I think he can play midfield. He As a kid, he was a midfielder. He broke into Southampton's team as a right-back. He was a centre-back, stroke right-back. He broke into a team of injury as a right-back, played brilliant against us. We bought him, deployed him as a right-back primarily until he got roasted. Then that game seemed to have really affected his profile to the rest of us. And, and he has been, he has struggled in the past. I've been one that's critiqued him. But I've been one this year that's called for him because I think his skill sets suit this new football that we're playing. I think he suits more than almost anybody. If I, wish I don't he know had if I like him pace. to, to I, you know, it's, it's hard. I can't look, I'm just not even going to say it. Cause I have to admit so much of what I think about him is just biased based on looking at him physically. Like, I mean, for the cross, he puts him for the own goal, Clive. He makes mm-hmm. a great overlapping run. But just watching him run. I want someone to cut that together with the, the gif of, um, Forrest Gump running home because he's so <laughs> upright and so stiff. Yeah, you know, he, he just, runs with his chest. He runs yeah. chest first. He calls yeah. it chest first. He's <laughs> out in front, yeah. and uh, he runs chest first. I, I, honestly, I love people with character. You know, a football team is made of different shapes and sizes and people, and somebody that steps up when and plays a game which is primarily outside of his skill set at a time when we need it is somebody that I don't mind being around. Now look, I, mean, because, I have trouble seeing Kyle Walker as a fullback because he just doesn't look like one to me. You know, but he is. So. Yeah, I think he's probably the best one in the league, mate, if you ask yeah, me. No, honestly. I know. I'm just saying. So, I mean, it's it's not always about, you know, the, the physical profile. I think his delivery is good. He can step into midfield. I mean, look, any player who can play that First time outside of the boot, chip ball to, to play Lacazette in like that. And he called it as well. Yeah. He called it, didn't he? He pointed. Yeah. yeah. The ball was coming and he said, get in there. I mean, I just like the fact, I just like when people approach games. I, I always judge people in, in adversity, Elliot. That's when I judge people. It's a confusing position for us, Clive, because we don't have anybody that you'd say right now has completely grabbed the rein. Cedric's been fine. Bellerin probably is on the outside massively now with his form. Chambers can say, I played two games and played great in both. It's my turn. You wonder what Maitland Niles must be thinking, you know, watching all this, by the way, because, you know, it very well could have been his position to have at Arsenal instead of what he's doing now. So, you know, your guess is as good as mine. But, well, we mentioned Lacazette getting in on goal. So here's the thing Clive, I have always said that Lacazette does, you know, good non striker stuff, facilitating, building up, you know, giving the ball to teammates, back to goal, fine. But my. My complaint has always been that we overrate that stuff. 
because the other stuff has to be there too. He did all of the good non-striker stuff in this game. But it's the fact that he added to that, getting in behind the defense for that chip you know, shot that's cleared off the line, uh, scoring a goal that's taken away from him, but one touchdown, swivel and fire, old school Lacazette in the box play, right? One touch out of his feet, swivel and hit it ferociously. He scores a header at the back post, you know, from absolute poacher position. The stuff he hadn't been doing. The stuff he hadn't been doing. So now he's doing that too. And that's what you need from Lacazette. And I thought this was this was the complete number nine performance from him, not the false nine performance from him. So is is that is that how you saw it? I mean, for me, it's yeah. it's the fact that he added the stuff you got to do when you have the nine on your back that he hadn't been doing. And in this game, he did both. Yeah, he did everything. Uh, a couple of symptoms this game. West Ham, they got a couple of goals more than they expected. They dropped away into a 4-4-2. They thought they'd mid-block us and and then beat us with pace, you know, with Lingard and Antonio and then and then cross to Suchek and get them and just finish the game off. They thought they'd get a breakaway they, and they nearly did, right? So, they gave us the, the pitch. They didn't expect us to do what we did around their their central zones. And neither did I, by the way. And the way that Lacazette and Odegaard rolled off was just wonderful. And Aubameyang did it as well, by the way. And they weren't really tight. So they were really quite passive. They didn't want to give any free kicks away. So we were rolling off really easy, turning around. And Lacazette's got a lovely little inside pass to Saka. Maybe that should, maybe that'll tell you what the game plan was, by the way. Into Lacazette inside the left ball. You said that would have been Aubameyang if the game had been going yeah, the way exactly. we expected it to be. Exactly. Yeah, fair enough. Well, and if That's it had been Aubameyang, you fancy him to maybe do a little better you with that chance. Fancy one on one, right? Yeah. So um, I say that he just blew a one on one midweek, but yeah, so. <laughs> it happened two or three times. I think they wanted to get on Cresswell's inside shoulder. They wanted to drive down that space and and use Lacazette as the wall pass around the corner. And I thought Lacazette showed a lot of fight. He was fresh, remember? He was fresh. He didn't play midweek. He was fresh. And he was really physical around there. But I thought was super intelligent with um, his movement. And again, because we were pressed up at it, because they pressed, dropped back, we pressed up. We kept winning the ball. We kept turning it over, winning it high and pushing them back, slicing through them. Rolling off, we crept forward, we crept forward. I mean, the average positions were, were amazing. Luis was in their half building play, right? So everything's further forward. So Lacazette's now nearer the goal. So he hasn't got to get a taxi to get into the box. He's, he's really close, do you know what I mean? And and then he looked like a complete centre forward, you know, where the, if it's a Bamiyang now, his secondary movement's really, really good. He can cover like 15, 20 yards in no time at all when he's at, he's at the box. With Lacazette, you've got to get everything further forward, so that he can get closer. And I thought he had a great game. He should have gone down. You said it last night. He should have gone down and really forced the situation. Although he got cleaned out by the goalkeeper. And you see it after you think, oh, why wasn't that a penalty? And maybe mm. <laughs> the rules, <laughs> something's happened because I, it just didn't get called out in the same way. You know, so um, I'm not sure what's happened there. But um, he got cleaned out. I, I thought that was unlucky. Um, he took a left foot shot on Odegaard, beat about 28 players, turned it around the corner, he took a left foot shot. That curled, it was a, you know, it wasn't bad again. He just looked dangerous and they couldn't handle him. And, what you know, he's going to have good games because he's a good player. Right? I do feel that he we need a better version of him. But again, mentally, you got to ask yourself the question, right? Is he better for us at the moment? With this multi-positional attacking mids that move and want someone to play off, 
Is he better for us? Is he stronger for us mentally to stay in the fight, to stay in the fire, and boots are being around him, to, to sacrifice himself for other people with the technique? Is he, is he the one? He's really challenging Aubameyang. You've got to say it. You've got to be fair. Well, put your hand up. And is it fair to say in a season like this that sometimes picking the fresher player, even if they're not the better player, is the way to go? Because it's such a mental season with the amount of football. And you're right. There's three eights playing all around him in Saka, Odegaard, and Smith-Rowe, if you want to give Saka an eight and call him something else if you want. But you know, maybe having a guy who can be a little bit more involved in the little triangles on the edge of the box. But but again, my argument, Clive, would have been, I don't care what he does on the edge of the box because he doesn't do anything in the box. Well, now yeah. he's, he I say now, this is one game, I get it. But, you know, like my argument, the North London Derby, he played well, but he did no striker stuff. He missed a bunch of chances. He really wasn't there to do much. He scores the penalty that wins us the Derby. So I guess he did something. But, um, but this game is different. Back stick, header, you know, turn and swivel, shot from a, from a nice cross, layoff to Saka to put him in on goal, end product, really good strikes up, running in behind to collect a through ball that he just, you know, gets cleared off the line. This was striker stuff in addition to all the nine and a half stuff that he already does. So yeah, yeah I mean, this this changes the calculus, but it only changes the calculus in part, Clive, because of the form of Aubameyang. And I, I unfortunately, we have to discuss it. Look, I said this in the instant reaction pod and I'll reiterate it. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang spoofed his XG a bit when he was playing on the left, when we were playing 3-4-3. It was a little bit of a different role, and he was on a hot streak of finishing, and he scored a bunch of goals, and so it looked okay. I never thought he was great there. And since we played him up front, mostly we've looked really good. Our underlying metrics are really good, and his underlying metrics are excellent. He's missed some guilt-edge chances, and I'm not excusing that, but he's been on the end of them. He's been there. This was a bad game. You know, I th- we, we have a reluctance sometimes to just say someone was bad. He was bad in this game. He goes to sleep for their uh, third goal. He had to get moved from the right to the left because according to his manager, we were suffering defensive-wise, which is code for basically uh, he wasn't giving the support to his teammates that he needs. He has 63% passing, the worst in the team, had no shots and no shot-creating actions. That's bad. That's bad. In a game where we dominate for an hour, for your ostensibly best and highest-paid attacker to have no shots and no shot-creating actions, bad. This is a bad game from Aubameyang. And I don't like him in the role. I think the role is a facilitating factor in in him. I mean, you look at it, Clive. We've been playing with Smith-Rowe over there. Aubameyang is not Smith-Rowe. You know, and if you say on the right, well, fine. Saka, same thing. High touch, high buildup, high connectivity players. And now you got Aubameyang, and he's not that. If this is how we want to play, it's a straight choice for me. It's Aubameyang at nine or it's Lacazette at nine or maybe Martinelli someday, but it's not Aubameyang wide. And I realize with no William available and Smith Rowe not fit to start, he he didn't have a lot of options. Am I being too harsh on Aubameyang? Um, and how much do you think is role versus form? I think um, I, I, I do take your point about the role and I just started to get used to him as center forward. And he was doing fine until he lost his alarm clock, right? Three spurs. And that's like, what are you doing? No, seriously, what are you doing? And then you have a sulk in front of national TV. You play the game on the Thursday night. You don't really recover. You sulk halfway through that. You miss three open goals. And then you come to the next game. You're playing on the left and you you don't do your work. Do your work. Be professional, right? And um, he, he's, a, he's a player that just needs things to be just right. And that's the truth. And he is mentally amazing when everything's right. 
and it's how he handles adversity, I'm afraid. I've, I've had this feeling since Baku, funny enough, that's when it really dawned on me. And I've said this before, the cameras flashed to Lacazette and Aubameyang, and he's flattered their faces during that game. They've been boxed out in the box by Dave Luiz, would you believe it? And they were disconnected from our team, and I looked at them, I thought they didn't have an answer. They didn't have an answer against a low block, they didn't have one. They didn't have the attributes. I said to myself, we've got to move on from one of these right there and then. And, you know, he's been, he. I thought he was mentally incredibly weak in that period. But then he came back and led us to the FA Cup and just really shoved one straight back at me, you know, and showed a level of leadership that I didn't think he had. You know, he carried us. And um, and that's why I'm loath to, to kill him right now because he will come back. But you just know, know you, who you've got. This is who he is. He's somebody... I can do anything when he feels right and he doesn't feel right. And I would ask myself a question and ask you, you a question, Elliot. Do you think there's something else going on? You know, because you were the first one to say to me, do you think he regrets signing the contract? You were the first one to say to me about the options of him not signing the contract and, and, and where, you know, at the time I'm thinking, now we've got to sign, we've got to sign him. And I look at him and I look at somebody that obviously is a sensitive soul, family issues, is there something else going on? Because he's one of those people that you can't help but see when something's not right. And he doesn't quite look right to me. And as a footballer, I don't think there's nothing to do with age curves, nothing like that. He does not look right. And when he's right, he's a different person, a different animal. And he looks bereft of um, confidence, belief in himself in key situations. And when he went forward on that left-hand channel, Left foot shot, like he did versus Leeds. Roof and net. That's what you get when he's on fire. Mm. He's looking to check because he wants to get on his right foot. That tells you he's overthinking. He's worried. He's stressed. He's letting things get to him. That's what I think. But I don't know what you think. Yeah, it's hard for me to know, right? Because I, I do think we are not necessarily accustomed to this type of player. Thierry Henry, one of the great strikers of all time, was a guy who could score 25 league goals, but also produce 10 assists, who could take the ball back to front and beat a whole team. I mean, you know, he, he was on the ball. He was noticeable. He was doing things, whether he was scoring, whether he wasn't. Robin Van Persie was a 10 and a 9 combined. Um, you know, Olivier Giroud, while not my cup of tea, was a guy who was going to be involved because he had his back to the goal. He was playing flicks and layoffs and heading the ball, you know, and, and holding his hair in, in horror as he's missed a chance or, you know, he was noticeable. Um you know, I think about some of the strikers that have been here in the last two decades, and whether they were scoring goals or not scoring goals, you're going to notice them. And Aubameyang is a different animal. Aubameyang is not going to do much but put the ball in the back of the net 20, 25 times a season. And that is a very important thing to do. Maybe we want to move away from being a team that has a striker that does that. You look at Manchester City, they don't play with a striker, and they're certainly not going to play with a guy who has... 17 touches in a game, who completes 63% passes, creates no chances, and takes no shots. But that's who Aubameyang is. I think if you put him through the middle, he's an extraordinary talent who's going to score you 20 league goals in a season, and you just you live with that. We've paid him in such a way that we do have to live with that. So I think we're going to have to deploy him that way and learn to play that way. And with three number eights who are extremely technical and talented around him, I think it can work especially if you've got Odegaard who can lay on the kind of passes behind him that, that does. So I'm, I'm not too worried. The one thing I'll say, Clive... We are always going to overestimate attitude, emotion as fans because we, we know very, very little of what it really is like. If you watch, Aubameyang's off the pitch when we score our third goal. He's right behind the goal. 
He runs onto yeah. the pitch and celebrates with his teammates. And he looks as happy highlight. as if he scored it himself. <laughs> that was his highlight moment. The fact but that it's a good thing to a see, isn't it? Absolutely. The fact he's having a trauma with his own game doesn't mean he's 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 fine everyone in the dressing room. Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying he's going through his internal battles. So as, as a player, what I always say is okay, you're going for a bad moment, but you have two or three primary skills. Make them work for you. So you know what? One of his great skills is his movement, right? So party tried to get him in one time, he just dropped a bit short. So he was trying to get him behind, and what he's got to, what he had to do was just go earlier. Go early, go across the line, make people chase you, get people tracking you, don't play West Ham's game. And I have to give West Ham credit. They forced the Bamyang into a game he didn't want to play mm. on this day. You know what I looked for earlier? There was he played on Thursday night almost the whole game, did he? I think he might have played in the in the Europa League game, if not mm. the whole game. Yep. There was a training video on Friday where he trained, and not all the team trained. Not only did he train, he did extra shooting drills afterwards, with just the three of them, with El Nenny and um, Pepe. So I'm not, I don't think he's got a bad, unless he thinks he's got a bad attitude, I, I don't like that. You don't get to this level with a bad attitude. You don't get to the elite level he is, with top five in Europe, whatever it is, in goals. You don't get there with a bad attitude. You get there with sacrifice, with work, with effort, with doing extra training, to, to you know, practice your skill set that's made you this multimillionaire. You do not get there with bad attitudes. You have dips, and you have to manage those dips as a young professional, right? And you, your coach can help you, and you can help yourself. And so I'm loath to get on him. I want him to be better, obviously, because we know there's a big chance for us this year. If we play like they did in the last hour, the Europa League is a real chance for us. It's a real chance because that's a high level of quality. But we both know our best goal scorer is our form. And and we need him back real quick. Yeah, yeah, well said. I, I'm going to worry about it less. I will say this. I think it tells you how much the manager believes there's always a goal in him, that he waited to take him off as long as he did, you know, because he was having a yeah. stinker. And maybe, unfortunately, it also tells you a little bit about how much he trusts Martinelli, unfortunately, because Martinelli had two touches in this game. He came on, he had two touches. Just yeah. real, real quick, um... Because because we can get out of here. We, we're going to do a lot more uh, over the international break. We're going to rewatch the second half of this game for patrons tomorrow. So if you'd like to, you can join us for that. But that last period of this game where the game got stretched and was broken play a lot, and you know they had chances and we had chances. You know what I like, Clive? I think one of the things that, that I I had a question about with Arteta when he first arrived is it felt like he was a manager who would play for a draw if he if he had the point, you know, he'd play to hold on to that point. He didn't do that in this game. He wanted all three points. He wanted to go win this game, and the team wanted to go win this game, and he let them go try to do that at the peril of losing the point they had. Um, and you can say, well, yeah, what are you going to do at this point? You're in ninth. No, I, I, I think that there are managers that would have said, okay, we got back to 3-3. We got something from this game, which is amazing. Call off the dogs. Let's Let's keep this draw. Let's not risk it. But that's not how we played. We played to try to get the fourth goal. We could have had the fourth goal, but we could have conceded a fourth and fifth ourselves. Um, one of the players who I thought, again, you just can't help but notice him when he's on. You know, Before we get out of here, I think we should just touch on Pepe. Yeah. He, he is a player that the manager, I to me, it's pretty clear. He sees him as the second option, as the right side of the three behind the striker. That's his role. That's what he sees him as. But when he is on, you... Notice him. His cross to Lacazette is exceptional with his weak foot. He gets in on goal and has a good chance. And 
you know, I, I think, you know, on another day, that's a goal. He has another one on his left that I don't think he hits as well. Unfortunately, hits straight at the keeper. But I can't remember the last time Pepe came on and wasn't creating or or on the end of chance after chance. He's just a player who seems to always be in the middle of of, of shooting opportunities, of chance creation. So how do you see his role? And, and am I overstating his influence? Um, no, I don't think you are. Again, I look for another one that looks happy at the club. They all look happy at the moment. And um, just wonder where they all go in the first, in the first quarter of a game. Uh, I, he's I think, banging on the door, right, to, to have more opportunities. Yeah. In my view, of all yeah. the players, he's the one that is really banging on the door. So we've seen Odegaard explode, and we've seen Smith-Rowe explode, we've seen Saka explode, and I think we're seeing a consistent level of performance from Pepe now. And he doesn't seem to be getting the rewards the same as everybody else. Right? So it's like the moment that he doesn't do something right, he gets William pops up from somewhere and takes his position. Right, So... I think he can do more than people think he can do. I think, again, I think his reaction to turnovers is really good. I think he's dangerous. I think he attracts people. I think he had a couple of, unfortunately, a couple of shot efforts in the box in this game. The cost was unbelievable. You know, people said he hasn't got a right foot. Well, he has got a right foot. You know, he scored goals with his right foot. And now he's crossing on the stretch with his right foot. It feels as though we bought an incomplete player at a complete price. And because of that, we, we obviously have, we, which is our right as fans. Someone comes in for 70 million quid, even though it's, it's in installments over like 28 years, it's still 72 million pounds, right? And um, and people have expectations, and we didn't see that. But we're seeing something better now, much improved. Another one that seems to fit this group. He's got a different skill set to the other attacking mids, and he's a bit more of a finisher scorer but he's working harder to be a midfielder that can be trusted. And I, and I do like his ability. I do like his football arrogance. I do like his, you know, almost like a street footballer skill set that he's got. It's very hard to to read, but also very easy to blame. He doesn't work out. That's a good point. Is he pushing, is he pushing Saka? I think he is. But he's only pushing Saka because Saka's, you know, he's dead in his legs, isn't he? You know, but even when Saka's dead in his legs, I mean, again, I watched second half again today. His positioning and how he dragged Cresswell around was still great. He still played the rat attack with Odegaard. He still plays at a rhythm, which is Arsenal rhythm. You know, so even though he's not going around people and just leaving them behind, and he's not really, he's, he's taking big strides in his shots. You know, his he's drive patterns wrong. He's slashing at shots rather than passing them in the corner. That'll all come back when his freshness comes back. And but Pepe's right there, mate. So give Saka a rest. I wish he hadn't. In some ways, I wish he hadn't played on Sunday because he wouldn't have gone away of England. And we have to play three games in like six days, right? So I'm not sure if he's going to play, but there's that danger. And he, I'd like to see him rest. But Pepe's close, real close. But again, we're going to need them all. And his five sub rule in the Europa League. We're going to need all these guys. So um, yeah, I'm glad to see him play so well. I'll tell you this. If Smith Rowe has some durability concerns or if he wants to get some run at, at the 10, if Odegaard has to rest or whatever, I'd much rather see us play Saka and Pepe. Um, just mm-hmm. pick, you know, put move Saka back to the left, let Pepe play on the right, put Aubameyang through the middle, whatever the case is, then see Oba out on the wing. So yeah. that's something to consider. I'm, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. I don't think we should do that to our main guy. If he's got to share the game, like that, share the game. Is it, is it me rather than affect his confidence even more by putting him on a fullback who's 
the top assist person for West Ham in Cresswell has made like seven assists or something like that. I think, yeah. I, I think it's we're a little fortunate. I think we're a little fortunate. Look, we can still finish top six. That's not gone. We could still, still finish top four if, you know, everything goes completely nuts. But I think Arteta actually has something going for him here. He's got some big games coming up. It's Liverpool right after the international break. He's got Chelsea on the horizon. He still has Everton ahead. He's going to find out which players he can trust in big games over the next couple of weeks. And if we're able to to get past Slavia Prague and maybe have a couple of legs against Emery's Villarreal and then potentially a final against United or something, these big games, games against Spurs, games against Liverpool, games against Chelsea, games against Everton, they're going to help him get this team ready mentally, physically, but also in terms of who he thinks he can trust in different situations for those big European games coming up. Um, you got to get past Slavia Prague, I understand that, but we should expect to do that. That doesn't mean it's done. I mean, we made tough work of Benfica, pretty easy work of Olympiacos, all things said and done. We should get past Slavia Prague, the racist bastards. And then we should, you know, be staring mm. at the opportunity to win a European trophy. And he's got games in the league, Clive, to help position him to do that. And I think that's a benefit. You know, he's, he's not playing the, the all the relegation teams the next few weeks. We have an easy run-in, which is kind of ideal. I say easy in air quotes because nothing's super easy in the Premier League. But he's got a few big games to measure his team against. And I think that's helpful. Yeah, I think, um, well, the whole football world wants us to beat Slavia Prague, that's for sure. And my, my Scottish friends messaging me, my Rangers friends messaging me. I've even got friends in Celtic messaging me saying you got to beat them a lot. You know? So it, everyone wants us to beat them. So I, I, I cannot see Arsenal messing up there. I hope we don't because we need to sort that out. I, I, and it, what's, what really excited me over the weekend was the, the floor of this team I've seen before. You know, we've seen it throughout the season. We know it's there. It's more explainable every time you see it, and it's becoming more public. So the players that are involved in those decisions, although it's quite collective, need to wake up to the fact that they should have higher standards. But the ceiling of what I saw at the weekend was something that I hadn't seen before for a long time. And that attacking display was absolutely sensational against a team we didn't concede goals. It's got a you know some players there that are in the England squad in Rice and Lingard, Zuchek, you know Dawson, and have done quite well for them this season. Cresswell's done well for them. Suvel's done well for them. They've got some players that are on top of their game and they're top of their confidence and they fancied it and we absolutely destroyed them. And I promise you, West Ham got maximum reward. When we watch it again, you'll see they got maximum reward for a really good twenty-five minutes. They got three goals. They didn't expect that. Yeah. If they anything, otherwise we take them and we take them properly as well. It's down to us again. This is even a draw. If it's we're going at one nil, we we destroy them second half. We yeah, really look, do, it? It, you know what sucks, Clive, is because of social media and tweeting and and discording and Facebooking and all that. You you document your feelings at each stage of the game. Whereas, you know, if you're just at the pub, you're going mental and screaming at the TV or if you're at the stadium, you're screaming at the players the first 30 minutes, whatever, and then you're cheering and you're up and you're down. You know, I think about the Reading, you know, uh, League Cup tie that day that we came <laughs> we came back, the Shamak brace in extra time or whatever it was. Um, and I put some tweets out there early in that game that I wanted back, believe me. But the, <laughs> but I, I loved this. This was fun. It wasn't always fun, but it was fun. And you know, the thing that had gotten lost in the depths of our despair in November and October was just how 
little I looked forward to watching Arsenal play football. And right now, win-lose, you know, mental mistakes, errors, great chance creation that we blow, we're fun to watch right now. And, and that, this is entertainment. And I am, I am, are you not entertained, as they say? Uh, I am entertained. Okay. So, all right, let's leave it there. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. My name's Alex Pitting. Goodbye, me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, yeah, no football for two weeks, but we gave you 90-plus minutes of podcast today, so hopefully that helps. We'll do the second half rewatch tomorrow for patrons, and then we'll have pods sprinkled throughout the international break and try to come up with some fun stuff. Maybe do a big mailbag as well to cover a bunch of your questions. So plenty more ahead, and then the season gets real interesting when we come back. So very excited for all that. I hope you're well. I hope you're healthy. I hope you're doing okay wherever you are. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Liverpool nil. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.